Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to a special edition of the Share Life Podcast. In this session, we're going to have an interactive discussion about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Um, before we, he was betrayed by Judas and uh, many others. This discussion is part of my next book project discovery process. Um, the book is called From the Garden to the Cross, Powerful Lessons from Jesus' Harrowing Journey. Today, I'm with my three friends, Allison Miller. Allison, say hello. hello. Um, Allison is an author who's helping women flourish in life, relationships, and pursuing their dreams. Jim Carwish. Jim, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, Jim is leveraging personal narratives to help organizations and individuals master their stories and fuel their success. Uh, Todd Michaels is also with us. Todd, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Todd helps people know and share their story wholeheartedly through his work with the 315 Project and StoryDrive. And I'm Jason Scott Montoya, author and creator, sharing stories and systems to live better and work smarter. So before we jump in uh, to the specific passage that we're going to look at, which is uh, Jesus praying in the garden. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about the book, um, take a step back um, and discuss just the origin of this project um, to explain in the simplest form, as I have observed Christians, myself, uh, those I know, and those that I watch from a distance, um, particularly those of us in the United States. Um, I compare it to Jesus' example as he is in the garden and then everything that followed that and what I found was a deep disconnect between Western Christianity and what it embodies and lives and what Christ is and embodies. And, and there's a, a, par a paradox or a, a contradiction there that seems like something is off. Um, and not only have I witnessed this dynamic, but I also, I think there's one aspect of it that kind of makes sense. Like, hey, this is what something we aspire to, but but we, but we understand that we fall short of it. And, that, and that's a tension that I get. But there's actually another tension that seems like I'm not even, like we're not even trying to aspire. Like I don't, I'd rather not aspire to that. I just want to call myself a Christian, but not aspire to that. And that's, that's the tension that I have more issue with or have struggled to reconcile more so. And so that lack of interest to really die to ourself and pick up our cross, as, as Paul tells us. So it's as if, you know, Americans and, or, or at least Western Christianity has embraced a form of, you know, what many people would call a prosperity Christianity um, versus perhaps the real thing, or, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm seeing things out of, out of whack. So I'll throw it out there to you all. <laughs> That's the, the gist or the, the movement that drove me to want to write this book to go, okay, I feel like we're a bit lost. Let's go back to the source. So what, what do you all think when, when you hear that? <laughs> um, I can kick it off. I think the, uh, the, I, I noticed this back in 2001 when I was traveling around the United States quite a bit in that, um, the people that I would meet that were Christians, uh, had a particular view on it, depending on where you were in the United States, some would be a little more aligned with your, your life transforms when you accept Christ and other people, uh, it's a little bit more about, uh, what it has to give to you and mm. how nice that is, um, to have this, you know, gift that's given to you. And, 
the people that were not Christians that I met across the United States had varying degrees of upset about their view of Christianity itself, because they were saying, well, if, if that's what Christianity is, I'm not interested. It seems like it's just uh, a bunch of people, hypocrites that um, say that they're one thing, uh, behave another. Um, the, the Brennan Manning quote that's used, I think, in a Rich Mullins song, um, I just thought that might be interesting to kind of toss out here too, is the yeah. greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Mm. Hmm. What do you think? I think the there challenge. You... Yeah, go ahead. Why not? Go ahead. You guys are going. I, I think the challenge that I have is is reconciling that with the fact that I am, to a degree, I am I am no different than those people. But yet there is a difference. And, and I, that's the tension that kind of sticks out when I hear that quote. In, in terms of I am sinful and, and, and in need of Christ more than anyone, but the fact that the transformation that's received is, is different. And I guess the way that I would, the way I would explain that is, is simply a degree of embracing or submission to that transformation versus a degree in my own um, deficiency. I don't know. What, what do y'all think? Tom? I agree with what you said, Jason. I think my experience um, in growing up in the church and being exposed to, as um, Jim was saying, people who call themselves Christians and are not, which is exactly what I was, yeah. Um, and until you have an understanding, I think, of what it is really about, you may not want anything about it because there are a lot of people that are hypocrites. <laughs> I include myself in that. I've lived that way. Um, but I think once you um, yield yourself, I, I really love that word because yeah. I think Christ gives us the example of that. You yield yourself to the gift that we've been given. Right. Um, then, then we're able to, we're empowered. And, mm -hmm. You know, it's not our strength. We're empowered to live a different kind of life and have a completely different perspective. And then we have um, a heart, I think, for those who don't understand and want them to understand, but it's hard to get that message through because mm -hmm. of um, culture. Yeah. So, well, I guess, Jim, you were saying that when you were traveling, you, you kind of witnessed this. And so, I mean, it, was there an aspect of it that, like, what was, why was there that um, duplicity? If, if so you will. the, the, what 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 I experienced was uh, a few days at a time in each city that we would go. So I would come into a town, and usually I would get to experience a church service in whatever town we were in. City, yeah. town, you know, really, really small towns in South Dakota all the way to, you know, uh, San Diego, California, something like that, right? And so when um, when we saw what it was they were preaching, 
what were the elders doing within the church and how were they connecting with their community in small towns, especially um, if they were leading in a way that talked about change, it seemed like it had more to do uh, or people had more of that knowledge of my role in the church is to be changed and to behave like Jesus behaved and to do these things. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with the leadership. Uh, and I think that I've seen a lot uh, or a lot of evidence of people shifting the message or the word on Sunday and the elders shifting their guidance more towards what will keep the people coming to church on a Sunday than what it is to uh, need to be there on a Sunday and to empower you throughout the rest of your week to go out and and do God's work. Yeah. So I think the I'm not just going to say it's all on the pastors and if they did it differently, but I think the more as soon as we get slightly askew of the why behind the Sunday and the why behind uh you know, we're going to get bigger. We want a bigger building. We want a mega church. We want this or that. Well, that's just all about getting how many people can you get into a building <laughs> and how many people can you accumulate, right? Yeah. Mm. And as soon as you start a, an accumulation path, it's completely different than one one at a time, which is how that's the only way I know personally to live my life. I'm not saying that's any better than any other way, right? There are plenty yeah. of things, amazing things have been done with one person speaking to thousands of people. And, and I praise them for that. My, my way of being is just one conversation at a time, one person at a time, wherever, wherever I happen to be at and wherever the person happens to be at. And I feel like in the places that I went where the churches were really small and the pastor was really just serving the community and was bringing the word to them, there seemed to be more impact on the way that the people walked the yeah. walk. Yeah. So, so I guess on the flip side, then like Allison, from your point of view, when you were living as a Christian, but not transformed into one, like, how did you see it? Like, what was it? What was it to you? Did you even see the disconnect or did you think that it was just what it was? Uh, I had no sense. idea there was something different. Um, mm. I mean, I was just supposed to be a good person and I was supposed to do that out of my own strength. Uh, okay. I was supposed to do everything right, um, never mess up. Um, and I did mess and up did, a lot. Did that, well, <laughs> and it, did that create the tension in you to like, well, now that you messed up, you have to kind of hide it. Is that? Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely. Because you don't want to be showing that you're not what you're supposed to be being. Correct. So you hide it. You either leave, you know, you, you mm. continue to hide it within yourself. You hide it from other people. And then there becomes this thing where you're not really living true to who you are. Yeah. And that can spiral into other Thanks. And that's that's really unfortunate too. That's what I that's what I saw in bigger cities, right? Was people who were um, attending church on Sunday who were behaving as if they were perfect and everything's perfect, and the people beside them are comparing themselves to the person to their left, etc. And so everyone is pretending to be perfect. But then if you go out to eat with them afterwards, um, you know, if, depending on what grouping of people they're in they kind of, oh, now I don't have to be perfect and I can be mm -hmm. myself again, et cetera. And so that now there's this, I put on the hat, I take off the hat mentality. Yeah. But there's two challenges to that in the terms of, I think people are craving that type of authenticity right now mm -hmm. where I am not perfect. And I tell people of my imperfection. Yes. 
but it does make us vulnerable to, especially in the social media world we live in, where everyone has access to a keyboard online instantly. I mean, being vulnerable, all of a sudden, I, I could be uh, chastised across the board very quickly and aggressively, um, out of context or even in context. That's that's interesting. Um, and then the other thing that stuck out, Allison, was this idea of doing it in our own strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's impossible for us to live a fulfilling life in our own strength. We don't mm -hmm. have the power to do that. There is a power greater than us, which, of course, is our great God. And he's gifted us with the power to live the way that he calls us to do it. Yeah. And um, trying to do it in your own strength will drive you crazy <laughs> and, and, and ultimately end up causing you to look more within yourself at what a failure you are. Yeah. And it's so, but it's so counterintuitive to, to yes. want to kind of think of a boat like rowing the oars. But at least I'm rowing, even though the wind is blowing me somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So, Todd, what what are your what are you thinking? Um, the lens that I've been hearing the last few minutes has been like in the corporate, the institutional church, the mm. the uh, the casual ecclesia, the dualism ecclesia, <laughs> and I I think what I keep coming back to in my my own journey is why did it take so long for me to understand as cliche as it sounds it's about a relationship and not about religion hmm. um, that how much how much more fruitful would I and the community I'm in be if we were to understand the um, the value in the richness that comes from being known by him and knowing him like in this intimate like intercourse kind of way um as a 49 year old you know christian <laughs> on a on a census christian <laughs> been a christian for about 15 years it's like how many days in my walk that i was truly willing to be uh go through the crucible um did I really understand and believe that, again, cliche alert, the, uh, you know, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living inside of me. Mm -hmm. And if I truly believe that, which of course for me is a leap of faith, then in that I can't help but to become increasingly aware of my brokenness, my limitations, the futility of my own power but I'm not sure that um, I'm not seeing that sort of paradigm prioritized in the, in the church. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't want to, I don't want to harp too hard on the prosperity uh, gospel kind of prosperity church. Uh, uh, but that's the, for the, the people that have gotten to far enough to where they're saying that, what God wants is for you to be rich. What God wants is for you to be happy. What God wants, right? And after a little while, 
if we buy into that narrative, um, we have no opportunity. We, we start to drown out the opportunity to do what Todd is talking about, which is to, to have a very simple message, which is it's about a relationship, right? And I think that that's, that's the gift, right? The, the, the gift that we get later on uh, when, we, when we die, we go to heaven, right? We spend the eternity with God, but uh, on, on the earth, the, the gift that we're given is the relationship and the ability to have those relationships with others. Mm -hmm. so, right. I don't know if I, I don't know if I just trampled on what you were trying to say, Todd, or if that was in line. I mean, the thing, the thing that one of the biggest takeaways I, I took from this study and, it, and maybe stepping on a question or something was because it kind of dovetails with what we were just talking about is like, if, if God's plan for our lives is to truly partake in the divine nature of himself, well, that, that means we have to be willing to let him remove the human nature in ourselves. And I think, at least for me, in the crux of it is, you know, if it, if it is a decision of the will, right? Um, God, I, I want your, I'll, I'll trade the, the temporal short-term gratification accolades that come from carrying out my human nature for the eternal riches of letting you put your divine nature in me or shaping me to be more like you. And um, Jason could probably speak this infinitely with greater depth than I could, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the Neo blue pill, red pill. I mean, that <laughs> moment it's like, which pill are you going to take? Yeah. But it's yeah. almost like, um, when you say that, that the will it's, it's a wrestling, if you, uh, if you will, um, but it, it's something that could take, like God will wrestle with us till the end. <laughs> you know, it, some people, it might take 10 years to get to take the pill. <laughs> some might take the whole life. Some might take a day. I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting that we, that we, um, that, that submission, um, I think God is unrelenting in, 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 in his pursuit of that for us but we he can he's not going to force us to to do that it's a choice but it's not a 10 years and then take the red pill it's like hey there's something on tv i can choose to look at it or not am i gonna it's a moment yeah. by moment pick up yeah take that pill daily moment by moment that's a good way yeah nothing daily like, pill <laughs> a moment by moment right like yeah. yeah do i want what i want or do i want what god wants in conversation with my wife kids you know the things I watch, put in my body, whatever. Like Allison, you know, hit it beautifully. It's like it's 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 a battle. It's a choice, and it uh, it's not easy. And I think the, the the church setting everything everything up around like once you accept Christ, then you're not having more issues or trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I wonder if that's where we've dropped the ball. Um, you know, evangelizing and then the accumulation, like how many people can we save? <laughs> and then we forget about coming back around to, to disciple them towards yeah. that transformation in the way that we've been transformed and, and paying that forward in the way that Christ has done for us. But if, if you become a Christian and you never experienced that love, then how can I give that love? Right. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and jump in the story. I think this kind of contextualizes how um, the the you know the disciples, I imagine, to some degree, felt some of these things. This um, you know, 
all, and all of a sudden this this guy is uh telling them to follow him and engaging in that relationship and 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 loving them in ways that they probably never even thought of or or imagined um so i'm going to go ahead and read my um harmonization of the sequence um from the different uh accounts of john and mark and matthew and luke um that have harmonized and then i've got a few quotes from the new living translation um and then we're going to explore what can we learn about God, humanity, and ourselves from this particular moment in the garden, which makes up a larger uh, story that's unfolding. Um, and eventually, you know, in this case, lead, led to uh, Christ's crucifixion on the cross. And so, um, so let me go ahead and I'll share my screen and then I'll read through this and uh, go from there. All right, do you see the, the document here? Yes. All right, so this, uh, this comes from a combination of uh, John 18, 1 through 2, Mark 14, 32 through 42, Matthew 26, 36 through 46, and Luke 22, 39 through 46. So um, I'll go ahead and read this, and um, uh, we'll go from there. <clears throat> In a place Jesus often met with his disciples, he and the 12 minus Judas traveled across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mountain of Olives. After asking his followers to sit while he prayed, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the latter two sons of Zebedee, further into the garden. The stress and trouble of darkness weighed heavy on him. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus went deeper into the garden, a stone's throw from the others to plead with God for another way forward. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It was in this outcry that an angel appeared to Jesus to strengthen him. The weight of Jesus' agony forced his body to sweat great drops of blood. While Jesus was shrouded in overwhelming darkness, the disciples in their own despair were found sleeping. When Jesus returned to them, rhetorically prodding their inability to stay awake and pray, prayer was necessary for what was to come. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give it to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus departed once again to repeat his conversation with God. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And once again, he returned to his sleeping and speechless disciples before returning to one final conversation with God before their time was up. In his third return, he found his disciples sleeping once more. This time he gives them permission to rest, but they won't be allowed because Judas' betrayer because Jesus's betrayer, Judas, had arrived. So here we have the situation where Jesus is taking these his disciples to this garden um, to pray. And we see Jesus in a way that I, I, I don't think that we've seen him in any other account um, in, in this particular way, in this particular um, approach to God and to the disciples, a, a sense of urgency and grief and um of what was happening and then we also see the disciples who are encouraged to participate in this dramatic moment um are struggling to participate <laughs> um and, and three times jesus prays and three times he comes back to the disciples and so that's that's the account i, I guess the question i would have for us to start is you know what sticks out for you all when you when you hear this when you read it when you see it um what's what resonates with you what strikes you 
Um, this is this is something that uh, this particular moment, these particular passages get brought up um, pretty frequently. Um, I mean, at the very least, twice a year, it, this shows up either in a sermon or a talk that I'm watching or something like that, or just in reading. And each time, I it it feels to me like surprise, even though it's not. I know I know what these verses say, but it feels like surprise to, to me each time that Jesus is praying. Can, is there another? Can we do something different, please? Can we not go through with this plan? Is if there's anything else, right? Because that is so human, right? It, and at the same time, it's balanced with, you know. But at the same time, your will be done, right? So I, I get it. I'm supposed to do this thing. I'm gonna do this thing. It's it's gonna be nearly impossible for me to get through this. You know, like this is gonna be so hard, uh, but is there another plan is there another way is you know just checking like if there yeah. is and i think to your point like that first part of it i think we all relate to like we're all good for begging god to change the way things are or, or the suffering we're facing or about to but that second part that's that's when it gets difficult yeah <laughs> i'm you know in the sense of I'm, I'm, I don't want this. I don't want to go through this, but I trust you enough that if this is what needs to be done, mm -hmm. that I will participate in it, even despite my own objections. Um, and I also think there's an interesting dynamic there of kind of to Todd's point earlier about the will, where I, I think it's, I think sometimes we hide behind that in the sense that we are being um, resistant. We are, we are asserting our will, but we don't want to say it. Um, we want to rationalize it in some way instead and kind of cover up. But there's something to be said, even if it is defiance, to be clear about that defiance or to be submissive and to be clear about that submissiveness. That's interesting. Jason, I was one of the commentaries I peeked at was telling me that the the name for this garden in Aramaic means oil press. Okay. And I just, it was kind of an interesting thought process to think of this guy wrestling and, and getting pressed, crushed, mm. you know, to the point of blood coming out. Um, what would be the significance of the press in that location? Um, it also struck me as uh, it, 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 it caused me to ask a lot more questions than I had answered <laughs> to you. It's like, all right, this is um, one of the three of the triune, omnipresent, omniscient, om, omniscient. How do you say this word? <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> All-knowing, right? Yeah. Like you're asking questions to yourself that you already know the answer to. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, yet, as uh, my colleague here was saying, it, you know, what a great tangible manifestation of this mystery. Like, how can this guy be fully human and fully divine at the same time? Mm. Like, how can I grasp my thought head around that and it's like yeah. 
just another reminder that I can't. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's it's more magnificent than I can understand. <laughs> um, you just, and it also, like, God, why is, uh, why is Jesus start his ministry by himself for 40 days and now he can't or doesn't or chooses not to do this on his own in communion with his heavenly father? What What's the rub with having these three dudes hang out with them overnight knowing in their, his frailty and their frailty and their fallenness that they won't, <laughs> won't be up to the task. And then, <laughs> and then he has the audacity to ask them, like, why are you asking a question that you obviously know the answer to there? So there must be a reason you're asking them the question. So I'll hand it over to you all for analysis. <laughs> well, I, uh, Allison, what do you say? <laughs> well, we may have read the same commentary. Um, and what stood out to me in that is that, you know, Jesus has told us that he's experienced anything and everything that we would ever experience. And I would say that, you know, the crucible or going through the fire is exactly what he was going through at that moment, being pressed, being, I mean, praying to the point of drops of blood coming out of him, um, praying, I, I, and, and some of the commentary I read was he knew what his task was. He knew his role. He knew that he had to die. And yet, as you said earlier, Jason, he was pleading with God if there was a different way for him to be able to let that, pat, that cut pass from him. And we do the same thing. We go through the same experiences and um, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the prosperity gospel, Jim. If people don't understand that there is a process, I mean, I call it fire, is what it feels like to me. But if, if you don't understand that you're gonna go through that, then you're always looking for the good things. And then you look at God when the good things don't come and you think, that he's doing something to you to keep you from having the good things. Yeah. And it's not, that's not the truth. Um, so, so yes, I think that, um, you know, his disciples are like us. Um, how many times have you laid down at night to pray and you fall asleep? <laughs> and, you know, I just, that really stood out to me about, how human they were, but yet it also stood out to me in that they were building their relationship with him. They didn't have um, a relationship with the spirit yet. And it was the spirit that would be able to empower them to stay awake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, we can look at that as an example of how we're so much like the disciples yeah. but you get mm -hmm. after receiving yeah and they um you know and to, to some degree there's a practicality to god to christ jesus telling them to pray so that they don't fall into temptation uh, which you know they all abandoned him um and peter denied him i mean the key was trying he was helping them to to prepare for what was about to unfold in front of them 
And so, and then Peter, I guess also, you know, sliced the ear off. So he was, he was going at it, but there's, there's it, it would for their own benefit, you know, even not just for what was happening at a, at a larger level. And yet it was, it was not enough, but I, I imagine being in their shoes, um, sort of this expectation of, you know, him as the Messiah and this King, this conqueror, and they see him in the garden, like prostrate on the ground, terrified and lamenting a God. I mean, I can't imagine that's a big confidence booster for, for a disciple. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd, I'd be terrified if he was terrified. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things about this is it's told as a story back to us. And I think sometimes when we hear a story and we weren't there, you know, it wasn't a part of our lives. Um, we assign certain characteristics to the people in the story. Yeah. When, when I, when, when you look at it in hindsight as a story, you know that Christ was, was going to go through these things for us. And then you look back at the actions of those who were supposed to be supporting him. And you think, how could you, how could you run? How could you lie? How could you, you know, do these things when asked about the person that you just spent all this time with, but as a, as a human in my own life, um, I mean, I'll act differently than I believe that I will come the day of something, right? Fight, flight, or freeze will kick in and I'll find myself not doing the thing that I've pretty much said I would do come yeah. that emergency situation or come that trial or come that um, questioning or whatever it is. Um, so I think if you look at it from a story standpoint, you kind of look at him and you're like, come on guys, you couldn't stay awake for Jesus. But if you look <laughs> at it from a in, you're in it and you're breathing it with them moment by moment, of course we'd fall asleep, right? We don't mm -hmm. get the whole thing. We don't have the whole picture. They gleaned so little of what he was saying. He gave metaphor after metaphor the whole time about what he was about to do and how important it was and how he was he was going to be gone and how, right. And he's, he's, he's laying out the whole thing for him and they're kind of like, uh, uh, okay, I think, yeah, I, I guess. Okay. Right. And they, they weren't able to see the whole, the whole path of the whole picture. So, you know, his, his desire to have them be with him, um, mm -hmm. is so human. And yet the, the way that they behaved is so human. Mm-hmm. It all makes, I mean, if you're in it, if you just put yourself right in it, it all makes so much sense how everybody behaved in the situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where um, there's two things, despair and hope. <laughs> the yeah. despair is, wow, that is true. Man, we're in, we're in a lot of trouble because that's us. But then there's the hope, which is Jesus knew that. And yet mm -hmm. he, he did something that transcended that failure that transcended that human nature. Yeah. We look at the scripture, I'm, I don't know exactly sure what the passage is, but you know, all scripture is good. It's there to rebuke and repute. It's like in, in divine inspired living word text, the, um, the creativity of God to once again, like, he could have, that scripture could have just said, oh, and these three studs like diligently kept watch all night. <laughs> but like the, the people that are sharing these, these eyewitness accounts are, 
documenting this, this very embarrassing <laughs> behavior. And there's got to be a purpose or a reason behind it. And, um, and then we're talking about 2000 years later. Yeah. Well, and we had, we had embarrassing, like there were examples of such embarrassing things all the way through Jesus's journey. Right. I mean, like, you know, asking people to walk on water and what happened there and, uh, you know, uh, people doubting and people questioning and people doing all these different things. And they were the ones that he picked and brought closest <laughs> to him and said, walk with me. I'm going to spend 24 hours a day with you. And so what a, what a different uh, situation we'd be in if he'd said, okay, I'm going to pick the 12 humans that can do all these things. Right. These are the superhumans. These are the ones that are built correctly and they're <laughs> right, right. And they're and they're gonna be able to do it. They can run a marathon and they can right, but he didn't. He picked people along the way and he said, Okay, you're gonna be closest to me. And they they did all the human things one right after the other the whole time. So you know, I, I feel like the story without all of the character all of the supporting characters in the story showing us again and again that they were human and that they were going to make human mistakes and that they were not going to understand and that everything that was happening while he was on his journey is mirrored in uh, our attempt to understand today mm -hmm. right are looking through are pouring through the the word our our time with others attempting to overcome obstacles when uh, giving our ministry to, to someone else right our um I think I think we need examples constantly to show us that these people were human. He was doing this for very, very human humans, right? Yeah. Uh, he wasn't doing this for the people that are the good Christians. He wasn't doing this for the people that were uh, built better than the rest of us, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that's where, um, you know, just the, the, the relevance to us, it's not this distant thing that, that we, it, it connects to us in that very personal way. Like, okay, Jesus, um, he, he engaged with people like me, right? It's not something that I feel like I, I can't have a, a relationship with, like we said. Yeah. What else uh, comes out? Uh, the, you know, in the beginning, it, before he prays, you know, he, the stress and trouble of darkness weighed heavy on him. And he spoke, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. And as he went in deeper, his prayer continued, Abba, Father, which is a very personal kind of like daddy type of phrase for, for God. Everything is possible for you. It, it'd be like, I kind of imagining like, this is my child saying this to me, like, daddy, you know, you could stop this pain, you know, please do that. And then me not doing that be for some greater reason. Right. Um, but there's, there's, this implies that this isn't, it, it, it seems like this isn't simply the suffering of what was to come it wasn't just that the darkness, there was something there, there was something larger than that in terms of the darkness and the suffering, like perhaps like what comes to mind for me is just the suffering. Christ is carrying the suffering that some of us humans, some of us in, mm -hmm. in everyone's life to some degree, but to some people, more degrees, the suffering we were going to entail. And, and he was to, to take on that suffering 
for them. And so, I don't know, there seems to be an implication that the suffering is, is not just the specific torture and crucifixion that he was to face, but it was, it was more than that. I don't know, what, what do you all think? I mean, it, it seems like it's a very loving model and example for anyone that's afflicted with sickness or poverty or anything like, hey, it'd be awesome if I didn't have this cancer, but if that's your will, I, I trust that I'll think you work all things out for good for those yeah. who love you. Um, the, the words that kept coming back to me as I was reading these passages was just, um, Christ himself was dependent on his father to basically go through uh, transformational, you know, maturity. Hmm. Go deeper there. I, I, I can't get to where you want me to be without you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and without you and without potentially the, the, the suffering that requires that? Is that what you mean? Well, the second part's not. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Where, where, where in scripture does, does Jesus do anything but empirically promise us we will go through suffering? Yeah. It's like, like I a, can't even yeah. found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I guess there, there's comfort in that for me. Um, but I mean, there are a lot of people that they, they struggle to believe in God because they would ask, well, if, if God is so good, why would he allow suffering? Um, why would he create a world where so much suffering was possible? Um, and why would, you know, when people are suffering, why wouldn't he just immediately rescue them from it? So how would you all answer that? I'd answer it through first James or James one, two through five, where it's like consider it pure joy when you, when you suffer, suffer produces perseverance, hope. Hmm. It, it's a, uh, um, it's, it's probably one of the most counterintuitive theological <laughs> truths, but it's like, that's probably, do you believe that? If, if you believe that, then you're probably on a path towards uh, a relationship with God. <laughs> if you're like, I don't want that. I think that when people are saying, hey, I don't really want the whole church thing, it's probably, <laughs> that's what probably what they don't want. They, just, they may haven't dug into the scripture enough to know it, but you're not going to, it's only a matter of time bef before you're going to realize what God's truly asking of you as a follower. And um, we can delay that reality through the entertainment, you know, consumerism of the Western culture, Christianity and hide that truth, but eventually it's going to come out. And that's why we we'll probably see a lot of people walk away with the, like the rich young ruler. Yeah. Yeah, the sacrifice is required. Um, and I think that's where, for us to be willing to make it, we have to see the sacrifice that was made for us through Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when we see it and we recognize the depth of it, it almost makes any sacrifice that he asks us to do. It's like, it's like just a small smidgen of what he did for us, right? Yeah. And But it, it's not an easy thing to get there, or, nor nor do I even, yeah, it's just, that's a very difficult <laughs> revelation to, to embrace and make develop. 
Jason, I had something that was uh, that that came to me a little more clearly as I was listening um, to you read the passage, and then as Todd was talking, um, because I I kept staring at the words, "My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death." Like I, my eyes just kept going over the text. Mm. And something Todd said a little while ago about the difficulty in comprehending uh, a fully human, fully God, like he is, you know, what, who is Jesus? So to, to be fully human and to go through what humans go through, when he says here, and I ho hopefully uh, if I am wrong on this uh, by bringing this up, somebody will uh, inform you or some Bible study will help glean this for you. But this is what hit me was... Um, when we lost, uh, one of our children, um, uh, we went through a period of time that ended up making my wife and I grow closer to God. And we also talked with people that, um, their experience with losing a child was that they went further away from God and they went further away from each other. So it caused a divorce between them and a divorce from God. And when he says, um, my soul is crushed with grief it made me immediately run to the seven stages of grief because if he is fully human it's possible that while he was spending those hours there in the garden that he was going through the seven stages of grief in order right like or not in order even right he's just going through all these stages of grief shock and denial pain guilt anger bargaining, depression, and then there's kind of an upward turn, and then there's reconstruction, working through acceptance and hope, mm. right? And although I have no real basis to go and grab the seven stages of, of grief <laughs> and apply them to, to scripture, that's what it made me think of was, if you're fully human and you're going through this process and the end result is, thy will be done, and your mm -hmm. first thought is, I'm crushed with grief to the point of death, mm -hmm. that that may have been what, like, just all of that stuff that we go through as a human dealing with grief, that he was just going through it, sitting there and just hoping that a couple of guys that are with him will just stay up and accompany him while he does this. Yeah, I think I think the grief thing, particularly in the just, it's obviously a human thing, but but even just last year in the pandemic and the hundreds of thousands of people that have died and and the trauma that people have faced economically and in other ways and um, and just the kind of anxiety pandemic that that preceded the pandemic, uh, but has been accelerated by it. And just the struggle that we're all facing and, and dealing with those things. And, and perhaps to some degree where Christ models for us, the process of going through that and getting to the other side, um, for whatever reason, we're all stuck in different stages of that, perhaps holding on to something that we don't want to let go. That's kind of what sticks out to me. Yeah. I don't want to dominate too much. If you guys have something, please, please butt in, Todd. Uh, the what that made me think of um, the the idea. It, it was oh, goodness who sang that song. Um, slow fade, uh, casting crowns. Um, the slow fade concept of you are at this point, and it doesn't just drop off for you one day, yeah. right? There are these slow, like uh, there are these 
moments where you kind of give yourself away piece by piece and you don't notice it's happening. It's just a slow fade. And then that makes me think that also there is this because because if you're if you deal with an equalizer, like if you're talking about fading things, there yeah. isn't just fading down, there's fading up too, right? So I imagine if um, it, it, I don't know if you guys are aware of the concept of improving yourself incrementally over a time rather than attempting to be something that you're not uh, instantaneously, right? Because one will cause you to just give up and, and, and <laughs> say, I can't do that, right? So yeah. I imagine if you're trying for this 1% improvement, this incremental change over time, and hoping that uh, through prayer and time with God and relationship, that you will be transformed into what he wants you to be, and you're fading up, right? Mm -hmm. And you're working your way there. Um, I think that takes care of a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, people's fear that they have to suddenly become something that they're not. There's mm -hmm. all this pressure on them. They have to be perfect or whatever. Um, I, I think he's there with a gift. He's offering us these things, but depending on how the gift is presented, depending on how we understand the narrative yeah. of, of what's being presented to us, starts the, the whole thing's a process right but how we get started off is such an important part of that process mm. how do we get how do we get ministered to um or witnessed to rather uh at, at the beginning what what's what's there with us and then are we asking for god's help are we asking yeah. for for further insight and it's it's I definitely feel like my life has been a, a very clear understanding of certain very specific components of this whole thing followed yeah. by very slow fade up right mm -hmm. but uh but not a daily fear that like i i totally got that right at the beginning of the whole thing was i'm gonna screw this up right i'm gonna i'm gonna do things and the only way that we're, i'm gonna be able to help other people and and understand what this is is by making sure they understand that i'm not perfect yeah. Right. By making sure that they understand that I'm very, very human and here's my path and here's what I've gone through. And here's this kind of slow fade up uh, thing. And um, I had a, a pastor when I lived in Atlanta that lived and ministered exactly that way. Right. He yeah. every time he would finish up with church or whatever, he would go to the places where there were, you know, he was surrounded by people that were living, you know, very sinful lives. And he was just opening up relationship with those people and listening and yeah. being there with them. And he was criticized by everybody. What are you doing? Why are you going to talking to, you should be talking to the Christians. And he was like, why Jesus wasn't talking to the Christians, right? Like Jesus was talking to the people that needed him. Why, what are you talking about? And yeah. they were like, no, you need to be with the people that are already believers. Why are you going and talking to people that are not believers yet? Yeah. So I think no matter what we, what we have as our understanding, if we don't get, that base concept, which is what's so valuable about what you're doing here, Jason, I'm talking about this book is this element, if we can really understand this, if we can wrap our heads around enough of it so that our hearts can be wrapped around it too, then, then maybe we've got a shot at this, right? Yeah. And I think to your, to, to a couple of things of what you said and what we've said earlier is one, it's to tap into the source of transformation, which is and through Christ. And it's also to point people to him. And so perhaps some of the problem with that expectation is that we have pointed people to ourselves instead of to Christ. 
um, which has caused us to be more hypocritical because yeah. it creates a weird power dynamic that shouldn't be there. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of, that's something what you just said there, that could, that could be an hour long conversation in itself <laughs> at least, right? If the, if the power dynamic is, is there because you are helping people tap into you like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a great Christian. Let me show you how like you can yeah. tap it. And it like, may not ever, it may not even start that way, but if right, I can imagine, right. you know, how easily I, I, you know, I doing it for Jesus and pointing people to Jesus, but then I, I get some of the benefits that fall off of that. Right. And you're like, Oh, I like that. Let me get a little bit of more of that and mm -hmm. a little bit of more. And then before I know it, I'm hoarding, hoarding that affection and that attention and that, yeah, whatever it might, you might kind of label it as. Yeah, which is a very human reaction to a very divine process, mm -hmm. right? And and it's almost like um, I can I can relate. Even Jesus does that in the sense that he's pointing people to the Father, the Father, the Father, not me, the Father. And and I think on on a few occasions that I can recall, um, you know, he even says like, "Don't call me good. It is only the Father that is good." And and that's interesting to think that wow, even Jesus did that. He modeled that for us. Yeah. Um, and just things like that, that I, 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 that I see that are, that seem to be ignored or overlooked or just maybe not prioritized. And yeah. that's a, well, I think it's easier to, we got a bunch of storytellers here on this podcast, right? It's really much easier to tell the story. If you eliminate certain parts of the story, it becomes a very complicated yeah. story when you <laughs> add all of those little bits in and people don't want complicated. Right. Yeah. But it, but true. it really is, it, it is very, uh, like there was one process that was going to work. There was one man who was going to be able to do it. And there, he was surrounded by the people that he was, you know, gathering to him. Yeah. And then they're falling asleep on him. And, and so it's like, well, do we have a shot at this? Do we have a, right? Well, yes, we do have yeah. a shot at this. Yes. Yeah. Humans were following him. He was human as, as well as being you know, God, he was showing us to point to God and say that he is, you know, he's the one, not me. Yeah. 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 Allison, what are uh, some uh, additional thoughts you have as we start to wrap up the conversation? Well, I think that, you know, when we talk about personal relationship, um, I think if we're searching for anything, through God, with God, that it all starts with seeking him first. You know, there's the scripture, seek you first the kingdom of God and everything will be added to you. And so if you really dissect that, he's saying, come to me, let me show you how to be loved and to love and what you need will be there for you. Um, and it doesn't mean that everything's going to always be rosy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it will encompass some suffering. Mm -hmm. But as you say, my personal experience also with the Lord is suffering has drawn me closer to him. Mm -hmm. I know people that have been through, you know, devastating circumstances, much like I went through. And um, it caused them to turn away and to rebel and go in different directions. And probably I did the same thing prior to a moment in time 
where I felt like God, I didn't feel like it, he did. He literally revealed himself to me in a way that I had never experienced before personally. Yeah. So it's that personal touch. He wants us to know him as a father that's a good father. And um, if we do suffer, it's for our good. And it may not always just be about us. It could be about maybe, you know, people that are around us and what they're seeing yeah. or um, how they're responding or reacting to whatever it is you're going through or watching you go through it and seeing you holding fast. And it's not easy to do. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that um, God has purpose in all of it. Yeah. It's for our good to those who love him. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Todd, what would be some of your final thoughts? I, I keep thinking I'm not coming close to understanding the importance of prayer. Um, <laughs> here's God himself, God saying, Hey guys, you need to stay watch and pray. Don't like, don't pray for me. Don't, don't petition or intercess for me, but like y'all need to pray that you would, not be tempted like to, from temptation and it got me to uh ephesians 6 12 for a struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and i'm not sure and i'm not i'm sure that i have not yet taken the weight and the depth of the importance of prayer in the spiritual eternal heavenly battle mm -hmm and grossly underestimated it which means i've got a huge target on my back <laughs> and so it's like if jesus knew it was important enough to have these guys be proactive to pray he could just say hey, I'm, I'm gonna go over here don't worry about a thing i got you i'll keep you from being tempted he's like no you guys need to pray and i think the question i'm after is like well who was he wanting them to pray to and I would think it would be the same Abba that he was praying to. So that that's going to invite me to get, pull up, pull up my prayer bootstraps. <laughs> Thank you for uh, letting me get convicted on all this stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. Jim, mm -hmm. what would your final thoughts be to... You know, I talked a lot today, Jason. I talked a lot today and I'd probably talk more than I should more for my fair share. I think uh, the project that you're doing is an incredible one. I think um, your conv conviction to hold this to uh, specifically scripture, that was a very, very important moment is and then to ask these very difficult questions is one that uh, I hope that people will pray the same way for you um, as you move forward in this project. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us and uh, I appreciate it. And it was a good conversation. I'm sure we could go for a few more hours, um, Oh sure. but uh, we'll go ahead and stop it here and, and uh, go from there. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of share life for additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.